Father, we ask that you would increase our understanding of you, your great love for us, your great majesty, but also our understanding of how we are to approach you and worship you in a way that pleases you and blesses us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was this gal. She's 80, she's, she's just turned 80 years old, and she's about to be married for the fourth time. And a newspaper decided to do an interview with her, and they asked her, I said, would you mind talking a little bit about your first three husbands? And she said, no, I'd be glad to. She said, my first husband was a banker. And then my second husband was a circus ringmaster. My third husband was a preacher. And now my new husband is going to be a, he is a funeral director. So when the newspaper went on to ask her, why men with such diverse careers? I mean, a banker, a circus ringmaster, a preacher, and now a funeral director. And she said, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> you know, some people have some very specific reasons for why they do what they do. In fact, probably in this room, there's a lot of different reasons why you came to our church services this morning. And those of you that are online, there's different reasons why you decided that you would connect with us online. Some people say, well, I came because I want to learn more. Some would say, well, I came here in this room because I want to connect. I want to connect with my friends and, and make new friends. And some say, well, I come because I want to be encouraged and, or I want to take an opportunity to encourage somebody else. And some might say, I come because I really place a high value on corporate worship. I place a high value on believers coming together to worship God in ways that please God and bless us. Well, it's really interesting. I want you to consider a couple of verses here before we talk a little bit more about the kind of worship that does please God and does bless us. I want to look at a couple of verses. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now here in first Corinthians chapter three, he's talking about us corporately are a temple of God. Now in chapter six of first Corinthians verse 19, he talks about us individually being a temple of God. But there's this idea in first Corinthians chapter three of us being a temple of God as we gather as we gather together and we actually form a temple, not the building so much, it's us as a people, as we come together as the church, he, God wants to dwell in us by his spirit. Let me explain more. First Peter chapter two, verse five says this, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood 
to do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's something about corporate worship where we come together, the Bible says, as living stones. When we come together, we actually are making a temple. Again, get out of your mind the building here. We are coming together as living stones. We make a temple in which God wants to fill with his spirit and we offer up sacrifices of worship acceptable to him. You know, there's something, there's something about corporate worship that we just can't get on our own in our living room. And we just can't get on our own in our bedroom. There's something about coming together as living stones where God fills us and God releases things and imparts things and does things in that moment that you just can't get off by yourself. That's one of the reasons why I discourage anyone from making it a habit of online worship. I mean, there are times that we need to, you know, be online, you're traveling, you're sick, or there's other kinds of reasons. But I think after COVID, a lot of people around the world who had online services available to them just went ahead and made that their habit. And I want you to understand that cannot be a healthy habit. There's some things that God will just not release on you know, when you're by yourself in your bedroom or in the living room, there's something reserved for these corporate times as we come together as living stones where he fills us, this temple that we just made coming together that he fills and that we impart blessing to him and he imparts blessing to us. So again, I just want to reiterate that, uh, encourage those of you that are online, we, we long for you to come back. Don't make this as a habit. It's not a healthy habit. There are times, but it's not a healthy way to live out the Christian life. So as we come together as living stones, we make this temple and we offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God. What does that look like? What, is, what does worship look like that is pleasing to God and blessing to us? Now, last week, we talked about the tabernacle pattern of worship as fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How that pattern is still there, but Jesus fulfills it. And we talked about how we gather together to, and really follow that pattern and have impactful worship times. And last Wednesday night, and if you were here, you were blessed. Because we had an awesome worship time here last Wednesday night where our worship team who just came, you finished their uh, new worship album, CDs available, it's online to stream. They did a fantastic job. And I just praise God for that. Now, obviously, the music's excellent and all that, but the worship is what really what they did the most excellent job on because they really draw us in to worship. And by the way, I do want to say that uh, you'll be blessed by that. I hope you access that. This, no one's trying to make money during this. We just want to bless, bless you. So take advantage and get that CD or stream it. But I want to go a little further this morning. How do we maximize our times of worship? For God's glory and our good. Now, there's not a mystery to this. Jesus tells us how. Jesus tells us how to worship in a way that pleases God and blesses us. And I want to go back, and some of you are familiar with the passage in John chapter 4, where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Samaria. 
Now, remember, if you would, the disciples had gone into town to get some food. So Jesus is left alone sitting at this well, and it's noon when nobody goes out in the heat of the day to get water except this woman who doesn't want to be seen. She's a Samaritan woman, and she goes out to the well to get water, and there sits Jesus, and they begin to have a conversation. It's a, a, an amazing conversation, but uh, I just want to focus on one aspect of the conversation. Before I do that, let me give you a little bit of background. Many of you know the Samaritans are a people group that really are leftovers, so to speak, from the northern Israel kingdom who had intermarried with foreigners after the chiefs and the nobles were taken into exile in 722 B.C. And they went on to build a separate worship place, separate from the one in Jerusalem. They built their own. They built one on Mount Gerizim. They actually rejected the Old Testament, except for the first five books written by Moses, and they had their own version of those. Their hatred toward the Jews was intense, and it was centuries old. And the Jews, by the way, felt the same way toward the Samaritans. So when Jesus walks to that well where that woman is getting water, he walks right into that hostility. And in the midst of that hostility, a Jewish man, the Samaritan woman, he asked her for a drink out of the water she's pulling up. And that spawns a conversation. Now, during the conversation, the woman perceives that Jesus is a prophet. So she decides to ask him a question that she wants an answer. So she's wanted an answer for some time, apparently. So her question to Jesus, thinking he's a prophet, is, okay, Jesus, where is the right place to worship? Is it in Jerusalem? Or is it here at our Mount Gerizim? So her main concern when it came to worship was where? Where's the right place to do it? Now, Jesus responds to her question, not so much with answering about where to worship, but his answer focuses on two much more important issues about worship. Jesus goes on to talk to her about the importance of the how and the whom of worship. So the first thing he does is he draws her attention to the how. Look at John 4, 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus wants her to understand something about worship. He wants her, her to understand that it's possible to worship God in vain anywhere, any place. In fact, remember what God said to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 13, this people honor me with their lips while their hearts are far, far from me. So Jesus wants her to know it's not so much where you worship, but how. But he isn't through. See, it's just, it's just not that it's important how you worship. Jesus wants her to know it's also important whom you worship. 
John 4, 22, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. I mean, he pulls no punches. He very direct here. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus being quite direct here, doesn't pull any punches. He basically says to her, you're wrong about the whom part of worship. You're wrong about it. You can't just name God anything you want to name him or think any way you want to think about him and worship that idea and that be okay. It matters that you're right about the how of worship, but it also matters you're right, right, right about the whom, that you get the whom right. See, the Samaritans' knowledge of God was deficient, therefore, their worship was deficient. See, it matters that we're, that we're worshiping the one true God. You, we got to worship the one true God. If we're not worshiping the one true God, then that whole worship experience is meaningless. It's in vain. It's a waste of time. See, according to Jesus, worship must rest on a true perception of God, and it must rest on it being vital and real in our hearts. Those two things, the whom and the how. Jesus goes on, John 4, 23, to say this. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Two ways. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So these two words, spirit and truth, are key because they correspond to the how and the whom of worship. Worshiping in spirit is the opposite of just worshiping merely external ways. It's the opposite of some type of empty formalism or empty traditionalism. And worshiping in truth is the opposite of worshiping based on some incorrect or inadequate view of God. So we really got to get this. It's real simple. Worship if we're going to do worship that pleases God, worship that pleases God must have right thinking and it must have right feeling or it's not pleasing to God. Now let's go back to Samaria for a moment. Disciples, remember, had gone to get food. Now they show up and to their bewilderment, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. But again, they're not really, they kind of, that misses them for the most part. And they say to Jesus, uh, uh, we got, got some sandwiches here for you. We got some food. And, and Jesus says in John four thirty two, I have food to eat, which you do not know. That's an interesting statement. Jesus apparently is saying, I've been eating the whole time you guys have been gone. Now, again, they're thinking only in the physical realm. They're thinking, did he have some sandwiches already? He goes on to clarify, John 4, 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, what is the work of the father? Well, Jesus just told us a few verses earlier. The father is seeking people 
to worship him in spirit and truth. That is the work of the Father. That's what he's doing right now all over the earth. All over the earth, he is seeking true worshipers. Those who worship him in spirit and truth. That's what he's about. He's pursuing them. He's seeking them. He's after them. That's what he wants. By the way, and that is why we do evangelism, share our faith to others, is because that's what God wants. He wants those who will know him and seek him in spirit and truth. That's why we do missions, because there are people on the earth, whole people groups, that are not worshiping the one true God in truth and also in spirit. So keep in mind that what the Father wants is worship. That's what he wants. But not just any kind of worship will do. It must be in spirit and in truth. So if you're going to experience genuine worship, then we must get spirit and truth part right. In other words, we must be right in our minds about who we're worshiping, and we must be right in our hearts, or it's not true worship. In fact, it's a waste of time. So I want to just talk a little bit more about this, this idea of worshiping in truth, first of all, thinking right about God. See, we must worship the one true God. This one true God is the creator of heaven and earth. He has a name. His name is Yahweh. He is the great I am. He has revealed himself through his son, who became an historical person. The son of God became an historical person, the incarnation and the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. And God revealed himself through his son and through Jesus. He is the awesome God that deserves our worship. I just want you to stop and think for a moment. When's the last time you thought about a few things about how awesome God is? Tracy and I were talking about this yesterday. So we're driving in, in the truck. and Think about this. Think about the fact that the universe, that we're understanding more and more as they increase technology, how big and big it is, that that universe had to have a beginning. It's not always been here, but God always has. In fact, God made time and space. When's the last time you thought about, or how about this? When's the last time you laid in a star-filled night on your back in the grass and there wasn't a lot of light pollution around? Let's say you go to the Davis Mountains out in West Texas where it's the darkest place in the 48 states. And you lay out there and you see the Milky Way galaxy. Do you know how long if you travel at light speed, light speed, how long it would take you just to go from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other, just the, the diameter of it? You know how long it would take you at light speed, just the Milky Way galaxy? It would take you 100,000 light years at light speed. 100,000 years. That's 587,000 trillion miles, in case you're accounting. And the Milky Way galaxy is just one galaxy of what now astronomers are thinking there are at least 2 trillion. 2 trillion. 
And each of these two trillion galaxies has an estimated 100 billion stars. And one of those stars is, one of those inferior tiny stars is our sun. Here's what God says about those stars. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me that I'd be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power, not one of them is missing. God not only knows the number of the stars, he's named each one of them. I mean, and this just tells us a little bit about God, just a little bit. Job says this, as a matter of fact, he says, Job 26, verse 14, Lo, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? Job says, that, and that's just a whisper of how great he is. When was the last time you went to the botanic gardens and saw the plants and stopped to consider that there are 391,000 known species of plants? From the moss growing on the side of a tree to the redwood tree that stands 330 feet high. And God made them all. When was the last time you went to the aquarium and saw the fish and considered that there are over 34,000 living species of fish and we've only studied 5% of the ocean and God made them all? When was the last time you went to the zoo and saw all the animals and stopped to consider there are some 1.5 million living species of amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals on the planet and God made them all? When was the last time you stepped on a bug? And consider there are over one million species of insects. And we're discovering more all the time. And God made them all. You might say, well, why why did God go through all that trouble? It was no trouble. (laughs) And Job says, that's just a whisper. That's just a whisper of how great our God is. When was the last time you raised your gaze and with the spirit, I mean, with the eyes of your heart, looked into the throne room scene and read Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and saw God high and lofty sitting on the throne, surrounded by glorious angels who themselves are bowing down before him and started to realize how majestic and splendorous and great and glorious. When was the last time you considered this truth? Psalm 40 verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you've done. And your thoughts toward us, there's none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. I mean, wow, on top of all the statistics I just gave you of numbers that we can put, we can count, there's something you can't count. And that's how many thoughts God has towards you. Wow. See, it matters that we think rightly about God if we're going to worship in a way that pleases God. It matters that we're worshiping the true God. So genuine worship is limited to worship the one true God. We must think rightly about him. Now, if we don't worship in truth, then our worship's in vain. 
It's empty, it's futile, it's stupid, it's meaningless. But there's another important thing about worshiping God in truth. I want to point out real quickly here. Psalm 95 actually gives us a bit of a understanding what our worship meetings ought to look like. Psalm 95, starting in verse 1. It says, Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For why? Why should we do all that? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So when we come together, there ought to be exuberant, demonstrative praise. Why? Because God is great. That's why. I mean, people shout their heads off at a Dallas Cowboy game, paint their face, put letters on their bellies, and open up their shirts. And then they go to church on Sunday morning and behave themselves. So there ought to be demonstrative praise, not because you're a certain denomination, but because you're a biblical Christian who wants to honor God in biblical ways. In fact, if you were to do a study of the different Hebrew words on how we should praise God out of the Old Testament, I'll give you three of them real quick. One is yada. Yada means literally, literally means to throw one's hands to worship an outstretched hands. Throw your hands. I mean, it's already in us to do that. You see it at sporting events. Yeah. You know, some golfer makes a putt. Yeah. Then we come to church. We, we, we throw forth, you know, our, we worship holistically because he is great. Yada. Another word is zamar, is to make music, praise, and song. Halal. Halal is the most frequent used term in the Old Testament. It occurs 108 times. It literally means the pr- praise which is demonstrative, boastful, noisy, and braggadocious. Now, biblical praise is demonstrative, it's enthusiastic, it's full of things like singing, Psalm 9, Psalm 30, Psalm 33, Psalm 47, 66, 81, singing, playing instruments, Psalm 33, Psalm 150, clapping, Psalm 47, verse 1, lifting your hands, Psalm 63, Psalm 134, Psalm 141, shouting, Psalm 32, 33, 66, dancing, Psalm 149, 150. That's what God wants our meetings to look like. Why? Because he's great. He deserves it. He doesn't deserve, for us to sit in a worship meeting, worshiping an awesome, awesome God, and to be bored and apathetic is is just insane. We ought to be giving him our everything. Why? Because he's great. He is great. But it doesn't stop there. We see in Psalm 95, it goes from demonstrative praise to there's a transition as we draw close in worship to humble and intimate adoration. Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Now it's very personal. It's not just a great God. He's our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You know, the primary word used to describe worship in the New Testament is proskuneo. It means to come close to and to kiss and to reverence, to prostrate oneself, adore on our knees the idea is, again, that we're moving in from, from a great God and being demonstrative to our God, very personal, humble adoration, and we draw closer and closer, and we're not shouting anymore. It's almost like you're whispering 
as you are close to him. By the way, and God's given us all these postures to help us worship. I mean, we are, we are tied together, mind, body, soul, spirit. The evidence of that is that how you think can determine how you feel. You can think wrongly enough to get yourself sick. Why? Because we're tied together. That's the Hebrew biblical view of man. And so God gave us these postures to help us worship. And if you don't use the postures, you know, no, I'm, you know, you're not going to get busted around here. You're not using the postures. But you are ripping yourself off. He is our God, our shepherd. And then we come close to him. He wants to speak to us. Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8. Today, if you'd hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear his voice. He wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to speak to us through his still, small voice. He wants to speak to us through prophetic utterances. He wants to speak to us. That's his heart, his desire. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. Let me say a little bit about worshiping in spirit. When feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. There's got to be emotion. There's got to be affection if we're going to worship in spirit. If that's not there, then worship's not there. Not the kind of worship that pleases God. True worship includes inward feelings that reflect his worth. It can't just be duty. You can't, if, you, if your worship is just all about duty, I want you to understand that doesn't please God. Let me explain what I mean. Monday, Tracy and I celebrate our 41st wedding anniversary. And let's say I showed up with, with roses to Tracy, and she says, oh, those are beautiful, Gary. And I say, no. It's my duty. Would that, would that have pleased her? Of course not. You know, you know, you think, well, yeah, but don't we honor people because of their, their duty? Not if it's not done from their hearts. And see, so you can't just get to a point where your worship is just all about, I'm just, I do it because it's my duty. That is not pleasing to God. I want to invite the worship team back up here because I'm not going to talk about worship without closing with a worship song. I just want to say this as the worship team comes. Don't let pride keep you from worshiping the one true God in the ways that he's prescribed for us to worship him. Don't let pride hold you back. Pride is a worship killer. And don't ever let your worship decline into performance of mere duty. Worship needs to come from the heart. And don't ever lose the wonder and the awe and the the sheer thrill of our awesome God, who's amazing, but the most amazing thing, I think, is he never stops thinking about you. The one thing you cannot count is his thoughts towards you. So seek him with all your heart and you find him. Draw near to God, he draws near to you. And so as we are camping down on worship here these last couple of weeks and really tied it in with the worship songs that God gave our own people, you know, over 20 of them involved in putting this album together, it's just going to be a blessing to so many. We want to take our worship as a church to another level. Let's all take it to another level. And let's start with this song. Let's stand up. This song, I asked them to sing. This one's one of the new songs. I think, Jordan, you wrote this one, didn't you? 
And uh, the song's got a little pep to it, okay? So you guys need to loosen up a little bit, stretch here. Get ready. Let's close and worship. Praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit in we turn from ourselves. We run to the sun, across the face of heaven.
Hey, did you like that? Before we close in prayer, I just want to say, if you're new here, uh, Tracy, my wife, and I would love to meet you over here in this welcome corner. We have Connection Corner in the back, staff answering questions you have. If you have a prayer need, we'll have some leaders up here. You can come up and receive prayer. Let's close. Father, we are so grateful we belong to you. You are awesome, oh God. We pray, Lord, you would just draw us even closer as we pursue being the kind of worshipers who will worship you in spirit and truth. Take us further as a church. Lord, do great things as we gather for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.